following is a production of Best in the World Sports, a division of Definitive Visions Multimedia. Bring it in for another edition of 83 to Infinity. My name is Brown. Have a great show for you today. We're going to talk sixes. We got to talk sixes. All right. Haven't been able to do it in a minute because we weren't able to do a show last. Uh, we weren't able to do a new show last week, but we are back. We are here on a Saturday morning. Hey, look, you can hit me up anytime with a question or a comment. Hit me up on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at B-I-T-W Sports. Once again, that is at B-I-T-W Sports. All right, let me bring in my co-host on the on the phone somewhere in the city, my man, Mike Jones. Mike, what's good? Oh, uh, man. I was about to say it's a beautiful day, but it's raining, so. Well, it's still a beautiful day because, you know, you, you woke up this morning. That's true. We are here. Mm-hmm. And we get to talk sports. And so. we and we get to talk sports and our beloved Philadelphia 76ers are two and they lead this series two games to one. So let's let's jump right into this conversation. Let's just jump right into it, all right? Because we have not been able to talk about this series since it started. It started off on a pretty shaky note. All right. Uh let's see. Lost game 1. 111 to 102. We bounced back. We won game two, 145 to 123. And then we came back and we won game three, 131 to 115. All right, there were two major storylines in this series. Number one has been Ben Simmons, primarily how he has elevated his game in games two and three. Number two, Joel Embiid playing hurt. Game one. Game one. It, it, it was pretty ugly. It was the ugliest of the ugly. Ben Simmons was, was probably the ugliest in that game. Played it as, was not to watch. Not fun to watch. Ben Simmons played probably as bad as he could possibly play. He got booed and he got frustrated. To me, all of that was natural. When you play as, because Ben is a competitor. Ben is a competitor. He is. he is a competitor, and he had a crappy game. Crappy is probably as clean of a word as I can use on the radio, because we don't. We all know there are probably adjectives that we could use that are a lot more fitting than crappy, but we just can't say that on the radio. Yeah, it, it was not a pretty sight at all. But I don't think that anyone should be too surprised or too upset. What do you mean? Surprised or surprised and upset that he had a bad game? At everything that happened in game one. Okay. Okay. Why is that? What? Why? Why were you not surprised? 
Well, if you recall, when we had Anthony Gilbert and D.L. Royster on right before the playoffs started, we discussed this this series in some detail, and my belief at that point was that the Sixers would have at least one game they lost because as a young team that had players out in chunks down the stretch of the season and a big man who's known for coming back less than in his best shape, it's it seemed the reason that there would be at least one game where they just came out flat. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty much what we saw in game one. More greatly illustrated by the way they responded in games two and three. Game one, they shot, what, three for everything from the three outside? Yeah, every, That's not... Your whole team was bad. Whole yeah, entire that, things like really aren't going to continue throughout the entire series. It's funny. And honestly, oh, sorry, I do expect Brooklyn to win one more game in this series, mm-hmm. probably because not the Sixers are flat, but because they just play lights out one night. Mm-hmm. It's funny but, because I'm I'm sitting here and I'm watching, I'm watching game one and I'm watching game two, and you see how they play. And the question that I had going into game three the other night was, okay, you've now seen you've now seen the Sixers play as bad as they could play. And you saw at that point them play as good as they could play. And now I'm, I'm saying this before game three. Mm-hmm. And the question that I had was, what do you what result do you see happening? What result is more likely to happen three more times in this series? You know, it's like you see how bad they play. Do you as a Sixers fan, I'm asking the Sixers fans. Could you could you possibly see a scenario where the Sixers play as bad as they played in game one three more times? I don't see that happening. Now that I'm sorry, does not sound like a very likely scenario where the Sixers played as badly as they did in Game One against the Nets, with as much talent as the Sixers have. It would be a major indictment on many, many levels if they played as badly, as poorly as they did in one in game one through any four games of that series. It would, at that point, you'd have to start thinking about restructuring from coaching down. Exactly. Because we all know, and we, we, we all know, and we have all heard the, the fire Brett Brown brigade, the F three B. Mm-hmm. We, they, they were loud and proud after game one. It was time to fire Brett Brown. He's an incompetent coach. He can't coach this team. He doesn't have control. He's not the guy. We need to fire him and get somebody else. They were in they were in full force after game one. And Indeed. I, and, and but and as much as we have opposed them, as much as the two of us on a myriad of podcasts. 
podcast you can find at soundcloud.com slash B-I-T-W sports. But over a bunch of podcasts, you and I have defended Brett Brown. You and I have, you know, stood up for Brett Brown. And we have chastised and criticized all the people who want Brett Brown gone. If the Sixers were to play like they played in game one, you know, we'd have to give them, a, you know, we'd have to give them a little credence. We would have to, you know, we'd have to back up. Hey, you know, as much as I hate to admit it, maybe you guys got something. Maybe Brett Brown has, you know, maybe Brett Brown has to uh, back off a little bit. Or maybe we need to walk away from Brett Brown. Maybe it might be time for a change. I mean, I, I, I would think if if they were to play like this, if they were to lose this series, playing games like they played in game one, you know what? All bets are off. Oh, absolutely. If All they were to lose this series playing the way they played in game one, it would be irresponsible of the franchise to not explore other ways of motivating the team and possibly institute, well, not possibly, but instituting another scheme as well. Mm-hmm. However, at this point, I am not one to think that's necessary. No, I, I don't think that, I agree with you. I don't believe that that's necessary because of right now two reasons. Reason number one, game two. Reason number two, game three. I think, honestly, we have now seen them play two entirely different games than game one. Game two and game three, they were dominant. Game two and game three, Ben Simmons was dominant. Indeed. Now, here's some... uh, Allow me to get on a tangent real quick. And, I, and, and Mike, I'm going to take you with me. All right, let's go. I'm going to take you with me because you know I like to feed Facebook trolls. That is a hobby of mine. I like to spar with Facebook trolls. I understand the saying says don't argue with fools because people from a distance can't tell who is who. Guess what? Call me a fool because I get into it with fools all the time. All right, there are people really bent out of shape over what Ben Simmons said about the fans after game one. Mm-hmm. You know, he got booed, and rightfully so. I have no problem with him getting booed. He played crappy. When you play crappy, when you play like crap, you're going to get booed in this city. That's just, you know, that's just how it works. Never going to change. There, You know, there, there, are, there are babies born in this city. Boo is their first word. That's just how it is. Not going to change. Never going to change. But, uh, you know, what was also should be expected is a competitor getting angry and being frustrated when they play crappy. Ben Simmons is 22 years old. Going into this playoff series, Ben Simmons had 10 playoff games under his belt. 10 total playoff games. Game one was his 11th. Mm-hmm. Nine points, seven rebounds, three uh, three assists. Played crappy, got booed, got mad at being booed. I'm not even sure if you can say he was mad at being booed, but you asked him a question in what? 
you know, less than two hours after the game, what kind of response did you think he was going to have? What kind of response would you expect from a 22-year-old? I feel I feel like honestly the whole thing was overblown. Yes, I agree. Go ahead. The, the fans boo, he played poorly. It won't be the last time it happens. And you play poorly, you get booed. It doesn't mean the fans don't like you. It means that they don't like the product they're seeing right now. And <clears throat> Ben Simmons to his credit, regardless of his response immediately after a loss. He came back and performed magnificently throughout the rest of the series. Mm -hmm. And quite honestly, Joel Embiid's comments in regards to Ben Simmons' reaction to the boo honestly probably led us into Simmons' psyche a little bit, alluding to the fact that he might be a little scared of getting the boo or may have been mm -hmm. a little scared of getting booed. So honestly, I could, in some ways I think the fact that it happened after a game one playoff loss could be the best thing that happens yeah. in Simmons long term. because He's heard the boos realized it's not the end of the world and that he can come right back and play. Yeah. And he came as a young player. You have to go through some ups and downs, and it's character building. Yes, definitely, definitely. And and th this is the here's my thing, and this is the, the actual tangent that I'm I'm taking you on because I feel I feel like Ben's answer, Ben's uh, you know I'm using air quotes here, apology. If you really feel like he needs one, I don't. I'm pretty, and I, I think I know you well enough to, to, to say that I don't believe that you feel like Ben Simmons owes anyone an apology for his comments. But I still feel like I'm still running into fans who feel like Ben Simmons has to, has to verbally articulate that he is sorry for what he said after Game One. I think that's a bunch of nonsense. I think that's a bunch of garbage. I think Ben Simmons' apology was the triple-double that he had in game two. They beat I Brooklyn. would agree. I, they beat Brooklyn by 22 points. Ben Simmons had a triple-double. You know what? I think Ben is sorry. Guess what? I don't think Ben needed anything to be forgiven for, but guess what? All is forgiven, Ben. Uh, know, we're, hey, Ben, we're good. That's you know. I would not... As far as to say there's nothing to apologize for. Okay. So you're in an entertainment business. Mm -hmm. And people like to think about it, oh, you're playing a game. No, no you're an entertainer. Okay. And, and as an entertainer, you have to understand that you have a responsibility to provide entertainment. Mm -hmm. If I were to go do a concert, I have a 12-song set, and I forget the words to five songs, Am I going to be mad at the fans for booing me? No. I ruined the show. Doesn't mean I'm not a good entertainer. means I had a bad show. Mm. So for me to be critical of the fans because I didn't live up to my end of the contract, in 2019 especially, may offend some people's sensibilities. It's because you're 
league, your career, your income is based on Q ratings as much as anything else, as much as performance on the court. Mm-hmm. It's it was a good business decision. I'll say it that way uh-huh. for them to apologize. Okay. Now I, I, I hear you. And I mean, let's 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 dive into the analogy that you use just real quick. I I do agree that Ben Simmons and professional athletes in general, professional athletes are entertainers to to an extent, and it is their job to entertain. Professional sports is entertainment. We are the consumer. They are you know they provide a service for us. No, I do not believe Ben Simmons works for me or, you know, I don't own Ben Simmons or anything like that. But yes, you know, I, by watching, I am, you know, I, I am, you know, you're the consumer of the product product. and game one was a bad product. Exactly. And like a singer who, you know, using a singer who has a bad show. Now say, all right. As a fan, you know, sometimes singers do, you know, they, they, you know, they, they put on multiple shows. Singer comes, mm-hmm. singer comes to Philadelphia. They do three shows. I get tickets to all three, all three shows. Game, you know, show number one was terrible. Forgot five songs, terrible, offbeat, off key. You know, it, 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 it was horrible. She comes, uh, same singer comes out. Game two, uh, show number two, and just is just lights out, just kills mm-hmm. it. Gives me uh, the show of shows. Now, uh, how about this? Let me let me ask you this: Have you ever been to a bad concert? I have. Okay, who uh, who'd you see? You said you did. <laughs> are you? Are, are uh, you I'd rather comfort? not. Okay. All right. But it was an R and B act, and it was not. His best performance. Okay. I'll yeah. Okay. Now, all right. You 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 see you see a show. You you so you have been to a bad show. Have you seen that? Have you seen this artist since then? Yes. Okay. Was the show better? Significantly. Significantly. Was that enough? Was that enough for you? Did that make? Did that make everything? Did that make your frustration, your disappointment, however you felt after the first show? Did that make it? Uh, did that make everything square? square? I'd say square. I mean, the first show was still a bad show, but it didn't ruin my appreciation for the artist. Okay. He just had a bad night. Yeah, I mean that's how that's how I feel about. That that is how I feel about Ben Simmons. I, I feel like you know when he he played bad. Like I I have no problem with people booing. I feel like I've I have been, you know, you and I have worked together long enough, and I, that I have articulated. I feel like, hey man, you know, booing is booing. People going boo. You're not going to stop the boo. You know, booing is going to come. That's just, it. Just comes with the territory. It is what it is. There's nothing you can do to stop it. It's whatever, whatever. You know, I'm I'm not one to 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 criticize that. I'm not going to. You know, this is not a, to me. It's not about whether fans had the right to boo. You know, it's like sometimes you can you can discuss. You know, the the validity, the sense, the sensibility. You know, you can argue all that, but in the end, that's that's their right. To me, I think 
it should be as as much as the boo is going to be expected. I feel like Ben's frustration should be expected as well because he's 22 years old. You know, even you know, even with Joel Embiid's comments afterwards, you know, Joel Embiid's still a couple years older than Ben. You know, true. You know, he. You know, is like I know we tend to think of Joel and B. You know, almost like a kid, like because you know, because of his personality. But he's still older than Ben, and he's still you know, and he's still been in the league a little bit longer than Ben. And because Joel and B spent his first two seasons, his first two and a half seasons on the bench, he's seen a lot. He's been able to you know view a lot. Ben, you know, Joel Embiid, if there's one thing he has seen over his the first two and a half years of his career is a lot of booing. He had a front row seat to some of the most horrible teams in the process. So Indeed, I, he was on the team, on the bench, while they were still in full tank mode. I feel like one thing, one thing I, I respected, one thing I liked and respected about how it, uh, it was a small part of just the, the, the team building mentality throughout the process was as they, you know, as they drafted injured players and brought them along slowly, you saw them on the bench for a, a good portion of their time with the team. Uh, absolutely. The you know, team seemed to spend a lot of time together. Yes. And for the most part, they actually seem to be a team that enjoys each other's company. You know, like throughout that first two and a half seasons that Joel Embiid was on the bench, you saw him on the bench during games. This, I thought the same could have been said for Ner- Ner- I saw it early with Nerlens Noel when, when they first drafted Nerlens Noel and he sat he sat his first season with the ACL t- tear. Where was he? Mm-hmm. He was on right. the bench, you know, with the team. And then the next year when they drafted Joel Embiid, you saw it again. So I said, "Okay, I see what they're doing." Here, you know, here's here's what they're doing. The, this guy is, you know, we want these guys to be the franchise. Now, granted, yes, it did not work out with with Nerlens Noel, but the fact it, it wasn't that it didn't work out, but it was like they did it. They did their due diligence. They set, you know, they built their culture, and I enjoyed that. I liked that, and I think that that helped them mature as players. I feel like you did, you know, you 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 saw it to an extent. With Markel Fultz, maybe not as much as you did with uh, with Joel, but as they were hurt, where where was he on the bench, watching, observing, being with the team? And, if, and I'm glad you mentioned Markel Fultz in that statement mm-hmm. because he's probably the case that illustrates your point the most. When Markel Fultz was on the bench even to the point where he came back at the end of that year, you could see how much his teammates were rallying around him and supporting him mm-hmm. and trying to just provide him with whatever he needed to be successful. It didn't work out for fault in the long term, mm-hmm. but the culture and camaraderie was mm-hmm. very evident. He came back that he came back that rookie year, and in, in his rookie year, remember he had that triple-double. 
And you remember mm-hmm. how he had the triple-double. What was funny was he had the triple-double at home, and they're interviewing him on the sideline after the game. And his teammates stayed out on the floor to walk back with him. Mm-hmm. Usually after a game, the team, you know, the team goes back to the locker room because the locker room isn't far from courtside. You know, you walk through the tunnel and it's a very, it's a very short walk. A very, you know, it's it, it's a very, very short walk. So it's like, but the fact that they, they all stayed out there. Remember they doused him with the water on the floor and celebrated with him because they were happy for him. Mm-hmm. They were generally, they were genuinely and generally happy with Markel Fultz. But I say I say all this. The point that I'm trying to make is that from that time on the floor, you know, I felt like Joel Embiid learned Philly. He learned about the Philly fan. He learned about the the passion of the Philly fan because he saw it during the Sixers' most darkest moments. You know, it, it was like, yeah, that was some bad basketball. And those were some sad times, but you know there were there was still a lot of passion in that building. There was still a lot, you know. You got to see the fans who still showed up on a regular basis during those horrible Sixers teams. You know, gave the team their all. He saw it. Absolutely, he, he saw that, and I guess for. And beat the fan reaction to game one. He understood it. He got it. He knew what was happening. So maybe it might have rattled Ben Simmons. But to your point, to what you said, you know, he needed to see that. And now that he saw it and he bounced back and maybe, you know, and I guess luckily for Ben, he was able to bounce back and have his bounce back game in front of those same fans in game two who then turned around and embraced him. Now, granted, there are still some fans because we're, we're still on this tangent. There are fans who feel like Ben Simmons owes them an apology. Me, I feel like Ben Simmons apology was that triple double. If you weren't sure, if you, you know, if you, if you, if you're still unsure, you weren't sold, not sure if you're you're buying it, not sure you accept his apology in game two, that 31 point uh, that he dropped on the Nets in Brooklyn without Joel Embiid, that, you know, if that doesn't say, hey, man, my bad, I don't know what else will. 31 points. Brooklyn, y'all let a point guard score 31 points who never took a jumper. Brooklyn should be ashamed of themselves, man. Brooklyn should be ashamed of themselves. They let Jared Dudley go out there and talk some trash. Jared Dudley played 16 minutes, scored no points, got one rebound. Looks silly. Personally, I think one, I think Jared Dudley looks like Wallow, but no one else agrees with me on that. I see Jared Dudley, I see Wallow, and no one agrees with me. I'm I'm all by myself on this. I've tried like to appeal to everyone I'm like look I've held two pictures of them up together on social media nobody sees it I don't know why Jared Dudley looks like Wallow to me I, I don't know uh, if, I, if I gotta be the only one on that one so be it but you know it is what it is but to me alright let me this is the question as as I try and, 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 and bring this all back together is all forgiven for Ben Simmons for you Mike 
I'm sorry, say that again? Is all forgiven with Ben Simmons. Are we all good? I mean, as far as I was concerned, I never had any issues with him. And I now a slight, I differ from you on the point where I do think an apology to the fans is not necessarily necessary, but it could be useful for Ben Simmons. Okay. That being said, I don't know that it was ever really a beef. It was just one of those things where the fans weren't didn't symbolize that fans had turned on Ben yeah. Simmons. And I don't think that his reaction was indicative of him disliking the fans. So from that standpoint, I don't know how much reconciliation is truly necessary. Mm-hmm. But like I said, for the sake of his Q rating, <laughs> Ben Simmons probably should issue some sort of apology. Okay. I think I well I think if if Ben Simmons is going to apologize, I think it needs to come at the end of this series. Oh, absolutely. I don't want to hear I don't want it now. You're yeah. in the middle of a series. Yeah, yeah. We're not getting worried about distractions. Yeah. yeah, and 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 to your point, I and to your point what I agree with is I I don't believe that it's a beef either. I think you know how in this city, well, I shouldn't say in this city, you scratch that because it's not just this city. It's, it's fans in general. That's what, that's the nature of the beast. Now that narrative take, you know, takes precedence over everything. So no, it's not necessarily a beef, but people want to make it a beef. People, you know, that that's the narrative that Ben Simmons is beefing with the fans. Ben Simmons is battling with the fans. When you take a look at it, it's like, hey, man, fans were frustrated. Ben was frustrated. We all, you know, the fan, the, the actual fans, not the people who get tied up in the narratives, they moved, you know, they moved on. Fans moved on to game two. Ben moved on to game two. He played better in game two, got a better reception in game two. Played even better in game three, got a better reception in game three. So, you know, does, you know, so, you know, for, for aesthetics, does he need to apologize? Maybe. Maybe. But this is not really a beef. This is not really a battle. I agree with I agree with what you said right there. This is this isn't really, you know I you know, this isn't something that Ben Simmons' battle or whatever you want to call it with Philadelphia, that's stuff for you and I to talk about on the radio. If ben, exactly. If, if Ben is thinking about this at to any extent, to any extent, that's a problem. Ben shouldn't be thinking about battling with the fans at all. And I think it, I would be pretty confident. I'm I'm pretty confident when I say I don't think Ben Simmons is battling. Is thinking about this whole thing with the fans right now. Now, I don't get the impression that it's something that's been stuck in his mind either. I think Ben was over probably by the time he got home uh, Saturday Saturday evening. I think he showed that he was over it come game two. I think he solidified that he was over it game three, and I'll be very interested to see how they play in game four. 
Now, speaking of game four, let me let, let's uh, let's move on a little bit. As of right now, as of right now, as we're talking about this on Saturday morning, it appears that Joel Embiid will not play. He is doubtful. He's listed as doubtful. He's listed as doubtful. Now he has been able. He has been, you know, a game time decision. Every game so far. And that decision has come 15 to 20 minutes before each game. 15 to 20 minutes. I think that, you know, that's some, it's funny. I want to get Anthony Gilbert's opinion on that because I know he had, he had talked about things like that last time he was on the show. But nonetheless, how, I, I, I don't want to use the, the term wor- worried. I think worried is a bad term. But how concerned? What you know? What is your concern level with this whole Joel Embiid thing? Will this could would this and could this derail this whole postseason? Oh, it absolutely can derail the entire postseason. We have both seen repeatedly the difference in the Sixers team, especially on the defensive end when Joel Embiid is in the game versus when he is out of action. And while you are significantly more talented than a Brooklyn Nets team, that is scrappy and plays good basketball, but you still have a significant talent gap. When you get into the second and third rounds with potentially a Milwaukee, Toronto, or Boston looming, through the remaining rounds, it you're now looking at teams that have beefed up this year as well, and there's a much smaller talent gap, if any. And in those rounds, you absolutely will need your defensive anchor and most consistent presence to be at or as close to 100% as possible. So the question and if is, that okay, is right. not the okay, let me paint a hypothetical. Imagine tr- getting to the conference finals. You're playing Milwaukee, and you're trying to beat the Bucks without a rim protector to stop Giannis from getting to the basket. Yeah, that's that's uh, that, that's kind of scary. That's exactly. a scary thought. And you think about how you also you think about how the Sixers have defended Giannis, mo, the, how they've had the most success defending Giannis. Now, he's he Greek Freak is a great player. Absolutely. You know, and when I when I say successfully defending, I mean he's you can you you can successfully defend Giannis. And he's still gonna put up 40, 45 points. I thought those I thought they I thought when the Sixers played the Bucks and they had Joel Embiid as the primary defender on Giannis, even though Giannis put up 45, 50 points, I still felt like they defended him about as well as they could. Kept him away from kept him away from the basket at big at big moments when they when the Bucks needed a bucket. They still well, they, they defended. I thought Joel Embiid probably played the best defense of anybody on Giannis. All right, I would say it like this. Okay. 
the issue is not guarding Giannis. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but your your main concern is not in how you're going to stop Giannis. It's how you're going to stop the Bucks. Giannis at any point is 20% of what the players are before. Mm-hmm. He can score a lot of points, but 45 or 50 points isn't going to beat a team. So, in a defensive scheme like that, where the Bucks have several good shoot, good to very good shooters and role players surrounding Giannis, there are many situations where it's better to let Giannis take a tough shot one on one than it is to think you're going to double or triple team him and leave spot-up shooters wide open. So, from that standpoint, I I understand the Sixers' reluctance to go all in on trying to trap and shut down Giannis. But to your point, the ability to have a seven foot two Joel Embiid defend Giannis, who, while improved, is far from being a pure outside shooter. Putting a bigger body who's able to move his feet well enough provides a challenge that Giannis is generally not going to see. Mm-hmm. So. When, when you, at, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Finish your point. I, I, I was just saying, at close to seven feet, Giannis is used to being able to power through or over anyone who's guarding him, and he can do neither to Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's just like it's the concept. You know, when you're, you wouldn't normally think when you're saying they have a big point guard who can, you know, a, well, I guess Giannis doesn't play the point as much anymore. But when you have a player like Giannis and you can guard him with your center, normally you would think that's a mismatch. A mismatch. You would think that's something that would immediate. No one, I feel like no other team would do that. No other team can do that. Well, I think you said it right the second time. There's no other team that can do it. And that speaks to the uniqueness of Joel Embiid's skill set. That it's been a long, long time since I've seen a seven foot one, seven foot two guy, probably a young KG, mm. who could move his feet well enough to legitimately guard perimeter players. Mm. Possibly an Anthony Davis, but he's not a seven-foot-one-plus guy. Yeah. But it's it's a rare thing. And it, yeah, if Embiid can stay healthy long-term, it will be a nightmare to deal with him on the defensive end of the court, especially for years to come. Mm-hmm. Now, if – let me – I want you to put on your I want you to put on your front office slash coach hat for a second. What, okay. What do you do with Joel Embiid for the rest of this series? 
Do you still take it game by game? And do you, and after you answer that question, I want you to follow that up. And do you, what do you think of the, just this, the whole way they've gone about this? This whole twenty minutes before the game, we'll fi- we'll figure out if he's in or if he's out. Uh, my, Joel Embiid, for to the first part of your question, what I would do because he has a history of not being in game shape when he does not play, would do my best to keep Joel Embiid playing as much as possible. You don't want to go into the later rounds and he looks like he did in game one of this series. His legs looked dead. Every shot was short. He wasn't making as much of a concerted effort to get that deep post position early. He was often the trail guy on position transition rather than being ahead. It It's noticeable when he's not in peak shape. So... With that being said, I would do everything I can to keep Joel Embiid on the court. However, to the second point of your question, I think the Sixers are handling it as well as they can because you do want him to play, even if it's limited minutes, you'd probably prefer him playing than not. The issue is that it's a 7'2", 300-pound guy with a knee and back issues. So you get to 20 minutes before the game, and he tells you his body's not responding. He's not ready to go. With his injury history, you sit him down. That, as much as you don't want to, you have to. So we're not in a situation where as much as people like to know, oh, three, four days, ahead of time. He's out on on Tuesday next week. That's not going to be the case with Joel Embiid. It won't be the case this entire postseason, and I'm not sure that'll ever be the case in his career. It's just one of those things you kind of have to roll with. Mm-hmm. So you just see, so you see just pretty much more of the same going for the re- at least the rest of this series. You know, just... Yeah. You know... 20 minutes, you know, 15, 20 minutes before the game, we're just going to find out if he's going to play. You know, Exactly. We're going to see. I don't see that changing during this series at all. It, it, it's frustrating. Now, do you, let me ask you this. As we get, as, you know, we prepare, we wrap things up, and we'll, we'll wrap things up, and then uh, at this point, ain't nothing else to do but, you know, watch the game. But I get, could, could you see, the Sixers winning this series without Joel Embiid, this series against the Nets? Absolutely. I don't think they'd have significant difficulty winning this series without Embiid. Could they win in less less than seven games? Absolutely. This is a series where... I'll say it this way. A flaw that the Sixers currently have is highlighted in this series, in the way that Sixers are constructed. Do you remember 
LeBron James in Miami or when he went returned to Cleveland the second time, mm-hmm. what happened to both of the primary quote unquote post players yeah. once started playing with him? Mm-hmm. They started being uh, jump shooters. Exactly, because LeBron as the primary ball handler at that point in his career, while he was willing to shoot, was not a pure shooter. So for the team to function most effectively, you had to space guys out and leave driving lanes open. And as Ben Simmons is still in the developmental point of his of his career of his de- his growth, it is a very similar situation where, with him being less than willing to the floor himself a player in the post clogging up the lane for like Embiid does I don't want to say it creates problems for Simmons because Simmons is a good enough playmaker ball handler and basketball player in general to find ways for it to work but as a score and solely as a score Having Embiid out of the lane right now opens things up more for Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. No, agree, agree. This could, I mean, this this could be. You know, ben Ben has proved he proved it in Game Three that he has the power, he has the ability to take a game over, to impose his will. I think what what you see, it, what you what you see, if you see Ben Simmons, if you are not so in entirely distracted with this whole jump shooting conversation. You see just how lethal his game is. Just how power, you know, his ability. You see that. This man on, this man on to us, this man, what was it? What was the game on, uh, on Tuesday? Was it no Thursday? Excuse me. Thursday, yeah. On Thursday, 31 points, 11 for 13. This man made 11 of 13 shots and did not take a jumper. Well, it's rare that someone makes 11 of 13 shots mm-hmm. and t- does take a jump shot. So, but if you're taking all layups, I expect you to have a fairly exactly, high percentage. But, but what I'm saying is him getting to the back. Everyone said after game one, oh, the way to defend Ben Simmons is to lay off him. Lay off him and challenge him to get to the jump shot uh, to, and, and force him to take jumpers. You, you play back off of him. And that makes sense. But what Ben showed you in game two and in game three is if you do that, he will get to the basket and you cannot stop him. All right. Brook, Brook, or I'll say that Brooklyn cannot stop him. There you go. That's where I was going to correct you. Okay. My question was going to be, who's Brooklyn's rim protector? Mm-hmm. They have the um one kid, Josh Allen, I believe his name is. Yes. Who's had a few highlights this year as a shot blocker and dunker. Mm-hmm. But realistically, there's no one in there that you're really going to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. So to that point, Brooklyn is not capable of doing it. Okay. But Toronto could, it, you think? 
I think Toronto could. I think Milwaukee possibly could. Mm-hmm. And do you remember the Dallas Miami NBA final series? Yeah. Yep. Do you remember what Dallas did to LeBron James in that series? Uh, well, refresh my memory. Defensively, they essentially built a wall where no matter which part of the court he is, he's in, it's two, two or three guys between him and the basket. Mm-hmm. And then you sit back a little bit. And, the, and then you have a shot blocker behind them. They had a Tyson Chandler in Dallas that year. Yeah. That's how you stop that type of player. You build a wall and have a shot blocker in the back. So you have to fight your way through two or three defenders and then over a shot blocker. And then you dare everyone else to beat you. Well, look, that's a bridge we're going to have to cross when we get there, right, brother? Exactly. That's not a bridge we're at right there. That's, and it's not the Brooklyn Bridge, <laughs> definitely. It, it, it for sure ain't the Brooklyn Bridge. Brooklyn Bridge ain't going to do that. No. <laughs> Brooklyn, as we've both said, is under-talented in this series. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a good tune-up for the Sixers. They have some matchups that will make them work, make them be serious and ready for playoff basketball. But mm-hmm. This is not a series the Sixers should lose. It is not. So l- let me ask you this. As we, as we have this conversation before game four, if you haven't put your GM slash coach hat away just yet, would you play Joel Embiid today? Yes. Yes, you would? Yes, I would. Okay. All right. Assuming he's ready to go, I'm I'm playing him in any game he's ready to go. Okay. Would he have to be 100%? Say Joel Embiid is 85%. Joel, as he likes to say, Joel Embiid is 69%. Would you play him? <laughs> would you play Joel Embiid is 69%? If we are in a situation where it's something like tendonitis, knee soreness, rather than an injury with chance of re re uh, re injury or re aggravation, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm playing him. Okay. I might watch him, monitor his minutes, mm-hmm. but my my plan would be to play him. It's it's crazy. I, I will put it to you like this, like. I, I like him, and I, li- I like the addition of Greg Monroe, but I like the addition of Greg Monroe alongside Joel playing. If Greg Monroe and Boban Marjanovic are playing limited minutes behind, you know, to spell Embiid, I am cool with that. I think what you saw in game three with Monroe, and he missed a lot of easy shots. You saw him, you know, you saw him be a a, a force in the paint and kind of have his way with people, but he just had no finish on his shots. I think that gets better if he plays less minutes. Give me less, give me less of Monroe, and I'll I'll deal with that. I can do, de- you know. I can deal with Greg Monroe. 
I can take Greg Monroe. I'll, I'll, I'll take Greg Monroe, and I'll take Marjanovic because Marjanovic has actually played good ball this series. In his role, I don't need him. You know, I, I don't need him playing starters minutes. I don't need him playing a whole bunch of minutes. But you know, when he has played, when he's gotten in the game, he has scored points. They, have, you know, just like you, just like you, the point that you made earlier about Brooklyn not really having a rim protector, not really having that 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 true defensive stalwart center, other than uh, other than Allen. And you see that in the fact that Marjanovic is just shooting from anywhere. He gets the ball, he puts it up, he's putting the ball in, you know, he's putting the ball in the net. I'll take that. I will take that in a second. But I would I would rather take that, what I get from Boban, take what I get from Monroe, and as long as it comes with Joel Embiid starting the game and Joel Embiid playing decent basketball. That's what I need. That's what I'm asking for. So as we wrap things up, what is your prediction for game four? Game four, I got the Sixers winning. You you, you have the Sixers winning? Really? Yeah. Okay. But then that puts it – see, all right. See, now that, that, that scares me. And let me, let me tell you why this scares me. Because you also said you could see Brooklyn winning another game. Mm-hmm. If they win another game – it would be back here in Philly on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. I want them to close it out on Tuesday. I don't want because I don't. I don't want this. I want them to leave Brooklyn and not have to come back to Brooklyn until next season. That's what I want. I don't want to see Brooklyn again. I'm sure that's what we all want, uh-huh. but you know, Game Five is the game I could see the. Sixers with a three-one lead, thinking it's comfortable and taking mm. their foot off. God, see that was that that would scare me because I think a three-one lead, even if they even if they were to win this series in six, I feel like the fire Brett Brown brigade would just be once again just elevated levels of annoying if they were to have an opportunity to close out this series at home and not get it done, they would want to, they would want to fire Brett Brown. They will once again, no matter what he does, they'll want to trade Ben Simmons and it will be a mess. That is, that is what I would see happening. If this, if, if they were to lose game, if they were to win tonight, I feel like, if they win game four, and I kind of feel like if there's a game for them to lose, a second game to lose in this series, I believe it would be I I believe it would be game four. I originally predicted sixers and five. Although the case for sixers and six always made sense to me. I just thought they would win it in five. But I feel like if Brooklyn is to win another game, it would be game four. That, you know, that's just how I see it, but you know, we, who knows, who knows only time will tell. But all I know is if we come back next week for next week, if we come back for next week's show, we do a show next week and the Sixers actually do win this in five. And this series is over because the Sixers won in five, because I predicted it. I'm just letting you know how much gloating I'm going to do. 
I'm I'm just I'm gonna be out here. Just call me Nostradamus. I'm you know I'm I'm just you know I'm, I'm gonna be feeling myself. That's just how it's gonna be. I I'm letting you know now. We are gonna wrap this up. Hey, I just want to remind you guys. You can always download these podcasts anytime on soundcloud.com slash bitw sports or you can go to apple uh apple podcast slash itunes and search the best in the world sports report on our way out any uh parting parting thoughts from you mike jones uh, parting thoughts yeah ben's young don't grow up don't worry about the booing thing and b's health will be a issue his whole career once again, if you want to hear more of me and Mike Jones, make sure you check out Offense, Defense, and Discourse every Friday morning at 7 a.m. on FreeAgentRadio.com. We're playing throughout the day on uh, SeattleHipHopRadio.com and a couple other places, all right? Make sure you just get with us. Follow us on social media, O underscore D underscore Discourse or at B-I-T-W Sports and you can find out where you can hear Jonesy and Brown. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been another exciting edition of 83 Till Infinity. We will check you out next time. Peace, y'all. Go Sixers. You feeling this podcast? To hear this and more, go to soundcloud.com slash B-I-T-W Sports. Or on